Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Okay, so now we're going to get into the wisdom literature. Now, the wisdom literature is very interesting because at first blush, if you look at the wisdom literature, you can conclude it doesn't say hardly anything about the Holy Spirit. Because you have in Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, you have lots of references to the word spirit. Most of it is that Hebrew word we've discussed before, ruach. But that just means breath, and it, it is almost always referred to referring to a human, human spirit. So you can look at it and say, well, there's not a lot here. However, there is a massive discussion about this word right here, wisdom. And in the theology of the Old Testament, as we're going to see here, wisdom and the Holy Spirit are considered synonymous. The Holy Spirit is the source of all wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the, is the manifestation, if you will, in many cases, of wisdom. So, if we really want to understand, uh, or if we understand this connection between wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and we see that the wisdom literature obviously is replete with discussions on wisdom, then what we're seeing is that the, whole, the wisdom literature is replete with discussions about the Holy Spirit. Everything, we're also going to see that the Holy Spirit is deeply involved in the creation and the maintaining of, uh, the, the creation of the universe the, and the maintenance of the universe and everything that happens that's involved in life. Every aspect of life is governed by the Holy Spirit. And so um, there's a lot of discussions about creation throughout the wisdom literature that becomes very important to us to understand the Holy Spirit. So, um, let's talk about wisdom, the Spirit, and creation. Now, there's lots of scholars who have suggested that the author of Ecclesiastes had the book of Genesis open as he was writing because there's so many connections between Ecclesiastes and the early chapters of Genesis. And there is a clear uh, set of intertextual links between Proverbs and Job and Genesis. So for instance, in Job, we've read this verse before when we were talking about the Holy Spirit um, being involved in creation, but Job 27.3, as long as breath is still in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, Genesis 2.7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see this connection between God's breath into the man and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit being involved in the creation event itself. Uh, they're parallel expressions. So to have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit in the wisdom literature, um, a lot hinges on our understanding of Genesis 1 and 2, where the Holy Spirit was really active. And so we've covered this a little bit, but let's just revisit. In Genesis 1-2, uh, 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You may recall that um, we talked about the fact that that word hovering is the same word used of a mother bird that hovers over her young and nurtures them. It's like the Holy Spirit was nurturing the unfinished planet, the, 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 the nascent planet. And Will Hildebrand says the passage emphasizes the uh, is emphasizing the actual powerful presence of God who brings the spoken word into reality by the Spirit. Thus the Spirit and the Word together, work together to present how the one God is responsible for all that is seen in the physical universe. Martin Luther commented on this as well. He said, The Father created through the Son, whom Moses calls the Word, and over this creative work brooded, that's that hovering idea, the Holy Spirit, just as a hen sits upon eggs, keeping them, keeps them warm and makes them alive through its warmth so that chicks are produced from them. Similarly, Scripture says the Holy Spirit, as it were, came and sat upon the waters like the hen, so that he might enliven the thing that were be, to be quickened and adorned, for it is the work of the Holy Ghost to make alive. And by the way, what brings the new life? Obviously, we trust in Christ, right? We're saved by faith alone. So we trust in Christ, and we're going to get into this in a lot more detail, so forgive me if you, know, you haven't learned this before, but what we're going to see is that at the moment of salvation, there is this, um, I like to call it a down payment on eternity that is made, and that is we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and it is actually the Holy Spirit that makes us alive in Christ, that makes us a new creation. So this, this idea of the Spirit being connected to life goes all the way back to the very beginning of creation. Derek Kidner says, Not in conflict then, but in evocative activity, the Spirit of God was moving. The RSV rightly retains the participle. Any impression of Olympian detachment which the rest of the chapter might have conveyed is forestalled by the simile of the mother bird hovering or fluttering over her brood. The verb reappears in Deuteronomy 32.11 to describe the eagle's movements in stirring its young into flight. This aspect of intimate contact must be kept in mind throughout. Any thoughts so far on this idea? So, yes? John 1 says that nothing was made that was made except through Jesus. Mm -hmm. But if this is talking about the Holy Spirit, so um, did the Holy Spirit create? Or did Jesus create? Or is that just going too far down into the Trinity? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, and, and you know, I'm thinking of Colossians 1, 16 and following that says uh, everything that was made, he, he has made all that w was made and nothing has been made that he didn't make, right? Um, and that's referring to Jesus as well. And I don't think that this is necessarily saying that, the and, and obviously we get way in the weeds a little bit when we try to, 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 to delineate between where is the Holy Spirit operating and the second member of the Trinity who is pre-incarnate at this time, where is he operating? But I think what this is saying is that there is some uniqueness into their uh, roles in creation and that the Holy Spirit was kind of nurturing and brought to life, but God speaks through his word and like matter comes into existence, right? But then matter, like when, when the dust is formed, that's a man, but then the Holy Spirit is the breath that's the enlivening part of that. It's what brings it to life. So it's like there's a, there's a sharing of roles where you, ha 
you know, theoretically, you have the creation of the matter and you have the enlivening of the matter and it's the Holy Spirit that's involved in the life part. Does that help? It makes me think of um, in Genesis where it says, let us make man. Mm -hmm. It's like it shows the Trinity involved in the creation. Yep. So this is another good quote from Bartholomew. He says, The doctrine of creation we find expressed in Genesis 1-2 through 2 is fundamental to the theology of wisdom in the Old Testament. And the importance of Genesis 1-2 is that it explicitly links creation order in the sense of originating and sustaining to the Spirit. So the sustaining part is the Spirit. The Old Testament does not, of course, provide us with the sort of Trinitarian data that we find in virtually every page of the New Testament. Nevertheless, there is genuine continuity with the data, and in respect, we find ample witness to the Spirit in the Old Testament. So this is just a long way to say the Holy Spirit was active in the enlivening of everything that was created and in the sustaining of life, and life and the Holy Spirit become synonymous, and wisdom and the Holy Spirit become synonymous. And how did God make the world, as we're about to see? He did it through His wisdom, right? So... Uh, to answer your question a little bit further, though, we have a new $64,000 word for you to all learn. <coughs> and this is circumincession. Everybody say circumincession. 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 It's, uh, it's it's, it has a synonym that is used in some theological literature called perichoresis. And it is the theological concept, also referred to as perichoresis, affirming the divine essence is shared by each of the three persons of the Trinity in a manner that avoids blurring the distinctions among them. Let me say that again. It's the concept referred to as perichoresis, affirming that the divine essence is shared by each of the three persons of the Trinity in a manner that avoids blurring the distinctions among them. By extension, this idea suggests that any essential characteristic that belongs to one of the three is shared by the others. Circumcision also affirms that the action of one of the persons of the Trinity is also fully the action of the other two persons. No. That's why you're sitting there and he's writing these books. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, Tom. <laughs> it seems to be a concept. A three-dimensional concept trying to be understood by a two-dimensional picture. Brain. Yeah, no, no doubt. But to, to Todd's point, because it's a great question, you know, all this means is that theologically we understand that the, the characteristics, the essence of God the Father, if he has a character, like for instance, if he is holy, what does that mean about God the Son? What does that mean about the Holy Spirit? Holy. If we say that God the Father is... You know, omnipotent. That means the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. That means that Christ is omnipotent. That's what this idea is, is that the characteristics that are, exist in one member of the Godhead exist in the other members of the Godhead, but it doesn't mean that they aren't still three persons. Make sense? Thank you. Yep. So, Abraham Kuyper, who's one of the most uh, influential Dutch reformers of all time, said, If we were reverently to compare God's work to that of man... We would say a king proposes to build a palace. This requires not only material, 
labor, and plans, but also putting together and arranging of the materials according to the plans. The Father is the royal source of the necessary materials and power, and the Son as the builder constructs all things with them according to the counsel of God. The entire wisdom and power whereby the Son gives consistency to all is generated in Him by the Father, while the counsel which designed all is a determination by the Father of that divine wisdom which he as father generates in the son. This does not complete the work of creation. To lead the creature to its destiny, to cause it to develop according to its nature, to make it perfect, is the proper work of the Holy Spirit. So, he's just giving an analogy there of circumcision. Does it help a little bit? Here, here's that circa what? What was that written? Uh, huh? No, 18-something, yeah. But here, here's, here's, here's the point. When we think of the Holy Spirit today as New Testament believers, we typically think about salvation and regeneration and the gifts of the Spirit, correct? We think of it in that context. And the point here is that... Um, that's too narrow a context to understand the Holy Spirit in. The Holy Spirit needs to be understood as the life giver in all of creation and as the wisdom behind creation and God's movement, God's activity. It is the creation-wide concern that where wisdom plays. And why am I telling, why are we working on this? Because we're thinking about, let's keep it in context of what we're talking about. We're talking about the wisdom books and the fact that the wisdom books don't say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but they do say wisdom, 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 wisdom. What is wisdom? What is the source of wisdom? It is the Holy Spirit. They talk about uh, the creation, creation and life, and that's the Holy Spirit. Irenaeus, if you want to go back a little further than the 1800s, around 180 A.D., in his book Against Heresy, said, For God needs none of these things, but it is He who, by His Word and Spirit, makes and disposes and governs all things and commands all things into existence. He is the Creator who made all things by Himself, that is, through His Word and His wisdom, heaven and earth and the seas and all things that are in them. So, Irenaeus, a church father uh, in the second century, he connected this idea of Word and Spirit and Word and wisdom and wisdom and Spirit. It's been understood from the you know beginning of Christendom. What language did he write in? He wrote in Greek. So, who capitalized wisdom? He did. Interesting. Oh, it's word and wisdom. They're capitalized like their names. Mm -hmm. Yep. Christ or the Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. That's for years. That's the way. Anytime I wrote down a verse. I knew it was referencing uh, God in any ways. It was capitalized in my own personal writings. Yeah, so we can see this interconnectedness between wisdom and, and the Holy Spirit in Exodus 31 uh, and 35. In Exodus 31, they're, they're talking about the construction of the tabernacle. The Lord spoke to Moses, Look, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's Spirit with what? Wisdom. wisdom understanding and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for, every, for work in every craft. I've also selected Oholiab, we almost named our son that, uh, 
son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. I have put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan in order to make all that I have commanded you. So see this connection between creating things and wisdom, and the skill is wisdom, but the wisdom comes from whom? The Spirit. Exactly. And he goes on to describe everything he's made. We see this in 35 as well. Moses then said to the Israelites, Look, the Lord is appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's Spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze. Now, um, the tabernacle has been noted by many scholars to be a microcosm of creation itself. So, the Holy Spirit was involved in nurturing and bringing to life the creation. The Holy Spirit is involved in the construct of the tabernacle by in giving people the wisdom to go actually do, be very, very skilled at what they did to bring about the gemstones and the, the various in, implement, instruments and things like that. By the way, the language of being filled with the Spirit is very noteworthy here. In the New Testament, it's distinctive that in the New Testament, all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, God is choosing to fill with the Holy Spirit those who he needs to have the wisdom to operate to bring about his purposes. And he filled them with skill. Yeah. I mean, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So would that cut against the argument of modern times to where the only evidence that people go by with the infilling of the Holy Spirit is only by speaking in prophecy, whereas this, when we're filled, we're filled with God's Spirit to have wisdom mm -hmm. for different things, for mm -hmm. creativity, for other things that, so that, I guess in our modern world, the church is taught in some aspects mm -hmm. that the only out out display of the Holy Spirit is by this certain area where yeah. it's not necessarily true. Yeah, so that's a great question. So what he's alluding to is that in charismatic and Pentecostal theology, there is what is known as the secondary work of grace. The secondary work of grace must be sought by the believer according to this theological system, must be asked for, and then the Holy Spirit baptizes you at a secondary point after salvation and, a, and you have evidence that that has occurred because you speak in tongues. It's, it's called secondary work of grace evidenced by speaking in tongues. And so to your point, I think you could make the case that uh, scripturally there's a lot that can mitigate against that. And one of those could be this. But it goes, I think we see a further evolution of this idea in the descriptions of the body in places like Romans and Ephesians, where we are told that, uh, and Corinthians rather, where all of these um, gifts are going to be given to the body so they can edify each other. And going again to this idea of craftsmen, what are we told in 1 Peter? That we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and we are spiritual stones being built into a spiritual house. And that each of us plays a role in the construct of that spiritual house. And it is the Holy Spirit 
that enables that to happen. So we're, we're, if you fast forward from here, we're going to come back to this because we're going to get to that when we talk about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and what it means to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit now. And definitely, that's a further evolution of God's revealing of who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit operated in the New Covenant versus the Old Covenant. Yes. Any, any other thoughts? Yes. The New Covenant just seems to be more personal, up, up close and personal, where we have a direct, a direct relationship with Christ. Where we can actually... I think there's no question about that, that that's one of the remarkable aspects of the Incarnation is that He came close. Right? That's what it talks about in Hebrews. It's like in Hebrews chapter 1, in uh, former times He has spoken to us in many ways, right, through the prophets and uh, so forth, but now He has spoken to us in a better way through His Son. Amen. And we have, we have access to the Father. We can, we can go boldly before the throne of grace. But there's this idea, by the way, too, how many guys have... Uh, ever read any of the Proverbs, and again, we're going to get into this wisdom literature, but any of the Proverbs that talk about wisdom and you know, seeking out lady wisdom, right? Wisdom is this personification of something, a woman that is to be pursued. And in a way, uh, the wisdom literature encourages us to indwell lady wisdom's house. And then that's going to get flipped over where wisdom's going to indwell our house. Does that make sense? The scripture that, that puts it, in, I think, in perfect sight is uh, John 15, 7. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself says, If you abide in me, mm -hmm. my words abide in you. Mm -hmm. Ask whatever you wish, and I shall be done. Without a doubt. I love John 15 so much. It's interesting, too, the use of uh, a female instead of... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that stands out to me. Yes. So, uh, well, there's there's a lot more to say. We're out of time. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get this one last verse out, and then we'll close for the day. The Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. We already looked at this, but um, just returning to it, this this idea that God didn't breathe into the animals; He only breathed into man, and so there's a unique connection between the breath of God and humanity. And we're going to talk next time about the spirit and anthropology, the idea of what is a person, because that becomes big in the wisdom literatures. What, what is it that makes a human? And this connection between real humanity and God himself and the Holy Spirit is a major connecting point in that discussion. So. I know this is boring, y'all are like, my gosh, this is like really academic, but I think it's good for us to see this progressive revelation of the Spirit throughout Scripture because it's going to give us, when we get to the New Testament, y'all are going to be way ahead of all your friends who talk pneumatology, trust me, because I know y'all have a lot of pneumatology discussions at work and stuff, and you're just going to be able to just slam those guys because... Here's the thing. You're going to have this rich Old Testament underpinning and root system to then understand everything that happens in the New Testament. It's going to make a difference. Trust me. Right now you're like, I, like wax on, wax off. I, I want to do karate. And I'm like, okay, just, just stay with me. Stay with me. It's all going to make sense.
Amen. Because they know all this. Yes. In theory. Okay. God bless you guys. Stay dry out there, and I will uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout-out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.